Amen. Praise the Lord. Good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Okay, Lord bless you, Brother Reese, as you come. I'd ask Brother Reese uh, if, uh, well, when Pastor Holmes was here, it was going to be the only time he was going to be here. So anyway, I told Brother Reese next time he was passing through, we'd have him preach. So glad you could be here. Lord bless you. Yes, appreciate it. And I was just realizing, I don't know how many more times we're going to be here for a long time. We've said that before, but, but we, uh, looks like about two and a half months from now, we're moving over to another country. So we'll uh, try to appreciate the time the Lord's given us together tonight. We're going to go to Luke chapter 8, and uh, we'll begin uh, with prayer once more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, this evening for safety for each one that's come, for health, those that are able to make it, and uh, we do remember those that are struggling, suffering, or uh, just uh, unable to make it out tonight. Lord, we pray that you'd be with them. Thank you for the electronic means that allow some to hear when they're unable to be here physically, and we pray that you'd strengthen them, uh, enable them to be back among us again according to your will. Lord, that you'd prosper our time, and um, we pray for for the the purposes of the devil to be frustrated and disappointed, and that your word would go forth with power in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke chapter 8, we're going to come to a familiar story. It's in three of the Gospels, and we're not going to make comparisons to the other two accounts. There are a lot that could be done. We'll see if we even have time to just look through this um, here this evening in Luke 8. We're just going to be looking at verses 5 through 15, Luke 8, 5 through 15. <clears throat> this is the shortest version of the story, uh, the parable of the sower and the seed. And um, I think when we come to the, the most concise uh, version, <coughs> excuse me, version of it, we could say um, there's, uh, there's some, some points of interest that stand out and uh, we'll see see what that is, the essence of this parable. Here, starting in verse 5, Luke 8, verse 5, the Bible says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up, and bear fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, Go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. 
But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. I've been working on memorizing this passage, and so I've been reading it uh, multiple times a day for a number of days. I don't know, I may be at 50 times or something now. And uh, each time, it's as if something new <laughs> stands out. Um, and there's, there's so much in here. But even, so this, this section we just read, verses 5 through 15, there are, there are kind of two main sections and then a little interlude in the middle. Jesus tells the parable, and then the disciples ask about it, and then he gives the explanation. And the very, the very way it's laid out is more, more so a demonstration of the truth of this parable, in that the word of God exists, and Jesus, Jesus spoke this parable in particular. It's kind of like a, a, a micro picture of the, the whole of the word of God, that it's out there, but only those who dig into it further are going to get the value out of it in their lives. And, um, and so the, the reminder to us as we begin to look at it tonight is that if we just read it and close the Bible and go home, then we are, we're, we're showing that the parable can come true in, in many different ways. And that, um, that the Word of God comes to many, and the end result in their life is dependent on a lot of different factors. And I think we could even picture this. I know there's been how many millions of messages preached on these passages, right? Um, from my meditations, I'm seeing this as the four different kinds of ground could possibly be all in one person's life at different times in their life. And so we want to kind of look through it again, a little bit verse by verse, and um, I feel bad for the guys running the verses up here because we may jump you know, from, from the parable to the explanation and back and forth like that, but we'll see, see how we can keep up. Um, so the very first verse, verse 5, begins with the first kind of ground, it says that as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And in a sense, that almost sounds like just an accidental spilling of it as where he was going. You don't normally try to plant things on the path, on the, on the roadway. <laughs> but um, whether, whether it's just, just by accident or it's just as you, as you scatter seed, you know, some of it ends up on the, on the walkway perhaps. Whichever way it happens, it's a reminder to us that, um, especially seeing that the Word of God is freely given to us, it's always good to put it out anywhere. It, but we won't be surprised if it doesn't um, spring up and bring forth fruit in everybody's life where we take it. If, if we're shocked about that, then we haven't read our Bibles. But... Um, what does the Bible say in Ecclesiastes? In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they shall both be alike good. So there are lots of people around us. Every one of them needs to hear the word of God. And it's, it's more important for us to give the seed of the word of God a chance in their life than to judge and size them up and say, no, that's going to be a waste. <laughs> so even this sower... 
it doesn't say he sowed on good ground first. Maybe, maybe that's where he was headed. But as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. Now, if we're, if we're thinking in our mind about the seed being gospel tracts, and, and that's a, a good way to get seed out. Let's see. I think I have some here. Yeah, I got some gospel tracts. Now, we know that it takes somebody time and effort and some resources to print, produce, and, uh, and make these available. And so we don't want to literally just throw them on the ground, throw them on the path, and just let people walk on them. That's not prudent. But obviously these are talking about people's hearts, and we, we might... Uh, uh, Pastor Holmes and I were in Rochester a few weeks ago. Uh, I don't know when that was. That's, there's so many things happened since then. But um, uh, let's see. I, I mentioned a lot of names in our prayer letter. I think this girl's name was Jasmine, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, we, we went to one of the corner shops that I knew had some uh, guys from Yemen working there, a different shop than the, the guys I normally talk to. And we met this lady coming out, and she had some alcohol and some cigarettes, and that's most of what people buy in those stores. So, um, so we talked to her, and she was uh, apparently under the influence of some mind-altering substances at the time, and uh, told us all kinds of outlandish stories, and we were trying to figure out some way to tie them back into what we were trying to tell her, <laughs> um, and you know how many times she's died, and da-da-da. Anyway, and uh, we, we told her we'd pray for her, and we, we, we had, eventually she had all this, this merchandise from the store, these uh, substances that weren't good for her body in one hand, and she had a couple of gospel tracts that we'd given her in the other hand. And I told her, look at your two hands. Which one is going to help you? The Word of God or the, the beer and tobacco? And she chose, she chose the substances, and she threw the tracks in the mud and on the ground. And that's a, that's a hard thing to see when you care about people. <laughs> but we know from, from God's word that some people are going to just cast aside the word of God. And we can't, it's not, if it were, if, if it were within our power to make everybody accept the word of God, then we would be in big trouble if we didn't. Because if we have the ability, we need to bring everyone with us uh, to reconciliation to God. But, it's our job to get the word of God out. And what does the Bible say is these people uh, by the wayside? Look at verse 12. Verse 12, it says, those by the wayside are they that hear. Okay, so we know that at, at least there's a responsibility upon us to make them hear. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, how shall they hear without a preacher? They're not going to believe in someone they've never heard of, and they're never going to hear without someone telling them. So that's the first responsibility for us. Um, and it, as, as we look through this passage, it would be a little bit easier, perhaps, uh, not on the conscience, but let's just say for sake of argument, a little bit easier to take a Calvinistic look at it and say, well, there's some people, they're just not going to get saved. And God already knows it, and he's already planned it that way. And so we don't... We can give the gospel to them, but we don't even have to care about it because God's already had it predetermined. That's not the right attitude. And even those that are going to cast the word of God aside, and, and here it says the devil's going to take the word out of their hearts, but they still had a chance to hear. <laughs> and that's important for us to get the word of God to 
each individual in some way as we're able, um, perhaps again and again. But what, let's finish verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. <sighs> we, it would be foolish for us to forget in the work of evangelism. And yes, that's my full-time job, but it should be uh, the work of each of us as a Christian getting the word of God to people. It would be bad to forget that there's a spiritual conflict and the devil is against what we're doing. The Bible says, it doesn't say just even uh, one of the devil's angels or, or workers or helpers or anything. The devil himself, according to this verse, can take away word out of people's hearts. They heard it and somehow... Um, just just bounces off, and if it's if it doesn't come into their heart, your ears are not the same thing as your heart. That's for sure. Just like the uh, the one fellow Joe, the one of the the uh, vendors at the Rochester Market, I talked to him for a good while on an 18 degree day, and I was very happy for the chance to find someone out to, that was willing to listen. There weren't weren't many people out at the market that day, but he had his heaters going and the outdoor tent and and so we talked and talked and talked and I came back that was on a Tuesday I came back Thursday and there was another lady working there because it was a busier day slightly busier and she was a Christian she went to a Baptist church and I said hey Joe you didn't tell me you had someone else preaching at you he said I know but I just let it go in one ear not the other and that's that's uh the Bible says that's the work of the devil that you hear but it doesn't get into your heart and uh but it's still the right thing to give the gospel to them. <laughs> so, um, but this, is, this has been becoming more, more of a burden to me. The people that have been uh, a bit more interaction in my life lately. Um, you've heard me mention, of course, Yahya, the Muslim guy in Rochester, and my own brother, Alan, and possibly a lady named Philomena, from uh, Nigeria, and she came over to our house when Pastor Holmes was with us in New York last month, and uh, we had some Bible study time, and, and Pastor Holmes gave his testimony, and we witnessed to her, and we asked her about her salvation testimony, and um, I asked her, is there a time that you know that you were born again? Because we asked her to give her testimony, and that wasn't part of it. And so I was trying to dig a little deeper. And so she said, oh, yes. And she told us this story of when she was, I don't remember, 17 or 15 or 20. I don't remember. She was a young lady, and apparently one of her aunts was about to give birth, and she had never helped anybody, and there was nobody to help. And it was a crazy situation in Nigeria. But God answered her prayer, and uh, instead of going too much past the time the doctor said was, uh, you know, the, the, the mother of the baby was going to have to, was not going to make it. Well, the baby was born and everybody was fine. That was her testimony of how she was born again. I thought, well, okay, I mean, it's wonderful for God to answer your prayer, but that has nothing to do with born, being born again. Uh, the baby was born for the, the once, but uh, that doesn't make you born again. And, and even after all the things that we read to her from the scriptures, it just felt like it was just kind of bouncing off. <laughs> and uh, 
And so there's the, the spiritual conflict, the devil taking away the word out of hearts. Um, and according to the Bible, if the powerful angels of God are not, uh, are not um, what do we say? It says, Michael durst not bring a railing accusation against the devil. Uh, even in the book of Daniel, we have uh, angel in, in a struggle with the powers of darkness for weeks. We know that this is not something for us to just take lightly and say, ah, yeah, we'll just, we'll just throw stones at the devil. In fact, the Muslims, they, uh, when they do their pilgrimage, they throw stones at the devil. It's not a good idea. <laughs> the devil might get mad at you. But um, uh, there's all kinds of strange things the Muslims believe I've been finding out. <clears throat> so this, this work of, or, or this, this conflict with the devil and the word of God, of course, we know that the word of God has power, and we're, we're so thankful that as we're in this work for the Lord, it's not, it's not our word, it's not our work, it's not our accomplishment to bring souls to Christ. It's God that has the power to, and, and he has defeated the devil, and, and his word um, will make the devil tremble. And the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross um, is just a, a death blow to everything the devil wanted to accomplish. And so, we don't need to fear that the devil's going to win the victory over the Lord, but we do know that the devil does win the victory in some people's lives. And so if there's this wayside type of soil, um, certainly, <laughs> at least in, in the lives of, of people that I've been witnessing with, I begin to feel more and more that our greatest asset, our greatest weapon, is prayer and submitting to the Lord because... We don't have the power against the devil of our own selves, our own smarts. The devil's been at it a lot longer than we have. And uh, it, it's, it's, it brings grief to think about it, but the devil has been taking the word of God out of people's hearts for centuries and millennia and doing a very good job of it and leading many, many people to eternal damnation. And I don't say we can fix it all, but... We need to sow the word of God, we need to pray, and we need to ask God. Um, in, in Papua New Guinea, I, I learn from the, the folks there as they pray, they often say, they often ask God to pass him Satan, to, how do you say pass him, to close or to hinder the secret work of Satan. And that's, that's God's job. <laughs> um, and he has the power, he is able and he is able to bring a conviction by his spirit in the way that we can't. But the word does have to go in. And that's our job. Uh, and also laboring for the lost in prayer. As I mentioned with the Muslims, um, I've, I had read and heard about things that, that the Quran tells Muslims that they should read and accept the scriptures, which it does. But as I'm in conversation with Yahya and Isaac, uh, one of the teachers from the mosque in Rochester, um, and even continuing this week, finally, dig down, dig down, dig down. And uh, it's not, I find it not prudent for me to tell them what they believe, just like I don't want them to tell me what I believe. <laughs> so I'm finding out 
how they interpret, because uh, they gave me a, an English translation of Quran, and I looked at some things in it. And, uh, and so I, I came across this thing. It says that God gave Moses nine signs, and you can ask the children of Israel. I said, well, this is a, this is a big problem, because if you ask the children of Israel, they're going to say there was ten plagues in, in Egypt, plus the other miracles of Moses and that they name and so forth. And, uh, and they just continually coming back to, um, well, it's not a problem if, if your Bible's been corrupted. And uh, as I've been witnessing to the Muslims this past year, it's, it's amazing to realize how the, of course, we know the, the first work of the devil ever that we read about in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, or I'm uh, sorry, Genesis chapter, chapter 3, is uh, to corrupt and change and cast out on the Word of God to add, to subtract, to change. And so the devil has been at it for a long time, and people that are working hand-in-hand hand with the devil, whether knowingly or unknowingly, uh, have also been casting doubt on the Word of God. Uh, when I talk to the JWs, they, they show me, oh, 1 John 5, 7, you know, some, some manuscripts don't have that verse. And in fact, Bruce Metzger says, that it's probably not, not in the originals. And so Bruce Metzger's not J.W., but he says it. I said, well, Bruce Metzger's not a Bible believer. <laughs> and when, I, I cannot imagine Bruce Metzger trying to have a conversation with the Muslims <laughs> because the Muslims would, would just, uh, in fact, Bruce Metzger would be a hero to the Muslims for the, the amount of doubt and uh, the way that he attributes major portions of the Bible to just Jewish fable or, or legends, or perhaps this was added in, perhaps that was changed, perhaps, you know, they, they pieced a bunch of stuff together and said that Isaiah wrote it or whoever and John and everything. That's, if, if you want to believe that, you should throw the whole Bible away. First of all, because of what the Bible says about itself, and also, um, if, if you believe that the Bible is all torn up to pieces, then, as I said, uh, I said a couple weeks ago, and I have to be careful not to get quoted on this, but if that's, if that's how you believe, you'd be better off being a Muslim because the Muslims are totally in harmony with that view of the Scriptures, that it's just, it's got some of the Word of God in there somewhere, but it's been so changed we don't know anymore. But they say that we have the Quran. It was given to Muhammad, and, and uh, it has been passed down very, very carefully. There are some versions of the Quran, and they don't like to talk about it, um, but there, there, there are small differences, and it's not my job to, to uh, figure out all the differences in the different Qurans because they're all of the devil. But I, I see the way, that they, the way that their reasoning comes back around, because they assume the Quran is true, that whatever it says about the Bible is referring to some original somewhere that no one's ever seen. And whatever we have today is so far gone from that that we can't trust it anymore. And the devil did a very, very good job of taking the word out of people's hearts on that one. Because one in four people on the world, in the earth today is a Muslim. And that number's been growing by leaps and bounds uh, in the last decades and so forth. And, and uh, when I was out in California with Pastor Holmes just a couple, uh, last week, two weeks ago, um, the Muslims have billboards evangelizing, getting people to convert to Islam. And 
I don't know how close it's coming to this area. Of course, we know Detroit, um, and there are, there would be plenty of Muslims in various places in Grand Rapids. I'm sure I haven't come across them personally much yet, but we need to have answers for them from the Word of God because the devil has taken the Word of God that they've heard and just totally destroyed it. And there are, there are a lot more Muslim scholars and apologists and, and uh, imams and everything than me or, or however, however many of us can stand up for the Word of God. But our job is still to get the seed to those hearts. And I think that our prayer and laboring for others, uh, just begging God to have mercy on them and to open their blind eyes, um, can do a little bit of plowing of that ground on the wayside to, to break something so that a seed could get in. Because what hope do people have without believing the word of God? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And there it says at the end of verse 12, lest they should believe and be saved. So we, I, I would conclude from verse 12 that the people on the wayside, at the end of the story, they are not saved. They're going to hell. And if we have done what we can do to get the word of God to them, then our conscience can rest. Um, although, man, the need in this world is so great around us, it's, uh, it's hard to think how we could ever feel like we've done enough of getting the word of the Lord to people. But we always have today, tomorrow, we can make a plan and uh, get the gospel to one more person. We don't know what kind of ground it's going to be when the seed gets there. But the least we can do is take it to him. So let's look at verse 6. Luke chapter 8, verse 6. It says, And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. There in verse 13, Jesus elaborated saying, They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temp temptation fall away. It uses two words, two words in this verse, receive and believe. Well, those are important salvation verses. We know for, from John 1.12, As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. The receiving and believing is, uh, we could say, a good, good description of salvation. That's not, that's not the only ways that the Bible describes it. And, of course, God knows the hearts. God knows the hearts of, of each individual that we talk with. But... Um, Certainly a, a, a much better position than what we read about first, where the devil takes away the word out of their hearts. They never get saved. So it, it would appear that people could be saved. It says these have no root. No root. If you can look over with me 
at uh, Ephesians chapter 3, look at a couple of versions, verses, excuse me, only one version here. A couple of verses in, uh, let's see, Ephesians 3, and uh, this was a prayer request of Paul to avoid this problem where it says, withered away, and then verse 13 says, fall away. We know that uh, if someone is saved, it does not mean they became unsaved. Just as much as if you were born, you cannot become unborn. It doesn't happen that way. But this falling away and withering away would certainly be a, a grief of heart to the Lord, to those who have worked to get the gospel to someone, um, and certainly a, a bad situation in the life of that believer if ha having no root, they just turn away. And, and uh, so we could say, yes, if a child's born, they cannot become unborn. But if you don't care for that child, they won't live very long. And uh, that's not the way that God wants to bring forth fruit. Look at uh, Paul's prayer request in Ephesians 4, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14 says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now we notice in those verses in Ephesians that God, Christ, the Lord, the Spirit, those are the main actors in helping a believer to be rooted and grounded. It's the Word of God, um, and the Bible is not just a, a dead book, not just black words on a white page, but it's, it's part of God's communication to us. And um, our God is alive, and he, he would nourish a new Christian if they stay connected with him. We think of uh, being rooted, and, and we'll look over at Colossians also, Colossians uh, chapter 1. Um, let's see, I think this was here in chapter 1. <clears throat> um, it makes me think of the rock up by Munising uh, in the UP, pictured rocks National Lakeshore. Is that called Chapel Rock, or what's that? Where's that tree that's on a rock, and the Rock has been broken away, but the root goes all the way back to land. It's on the, they made a special commemorative quarter for it also. I forget the name of it. But that tree is growing on a rock out in the, in the lake. I guess that's Lake Superior. But the rock doesn't have any nutrients for it. So it has to have that connection. It's got this root now hanging over the open water, and then it connects to land. And uh, I suppose if you vandalize that tree, you'd get in big trouble. It's a very special, unique tree. Uh, not, never good reason to vandalize any tree. But, um, but that root is the lifeline for that tree. If someone cut that so the sailboat could go between the rock and the, and the 
Lakeshore there, the tree would die. You don't, you don't get uh, nourishment from the rock. And, and so uh, we have this, these seeds on the rock. Now, somehow, I, I, I wonder how that tree ended up growing like that originally. But uh, we don't know particularly what seeds, it doesn't tell us what kind of seed is in this uh, parable, but it's something that eventually bears fruit. And fruit is an interesting way to describe it because we could, we can talk about a crop, um, but grains are typically just the seeds. And that is the fruit we could say, but, you know, um, I guess technically a fruit has seeds in it and, um, and God makes the fruit attractive so that animals and birds and stuff will grab a hold of it to eat it and they'll spread that spread those seeds to even farther places. And so fruit has more more meaning than just reproducing another plant, but it has to do with also nourishing others and to be a blessing. And so the the goal in this is not just to make more people to to plant more seeds, to go plant more seeds, to go plant more seeds, but that there's there's a there's more benefits along with the reproduction of more Christians. Um, I had this verse here a minute ago. Okay. All right, it is in Colossians chapter 1. Um, there's so many good things here, but also we see how prayer is so necessary for all these. Look at verse 9, Colossians 1, 9. <clears throat> it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So they heard that people got saved in, in this area of Colossae. But, and this is, this is an area where I have uh, been really just not, not realizing the importance in ministry and in, in Christian life to pray for others to thrive spiritually. Because there's so many obstacles, as we see through this parable, so many things that can bring unfruitfulness. And prayer is really the solution for all of them. Look at how it describes continuing, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That sounds similar to Ephesians there. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Jump down to verse... uh, 21, I suppose, uh, Colossians 1.21, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So we'd say, yes, it's important for these people to remain grounded and, and not move away from the hope of the gospel uh, if they ever hope anyone else to be saved in that area, that the gospel would continue to be preached uh, purely and truly, but also for their own growth and, and fruitfulness as Christians. They need to stick with what they've been taught. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Um, no, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2. It's probably on the same page. Where am I? 
Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So, an important aspect of this also here in, in Colossians 2 verse 7 is teaching, <laughs> continuing to teach the word of God. If, if a new Christian gets saved but doesn't have continual teaching of the word of God, then if they do meet a Muslim or a Jehovah's Witness or like this Catholic guy that we talked to here uh, last year who uh, was beginning to tell us what we need to preach, it would be very easy. There's a thousand ways for a young Christian to be led astray and to not bear the fruit that God wants in their life. And it, it doesn't say for sure that, uh, that these people, we're not going to meet them in heaven someday, but... Oh, they're gonna they're gonna have a, a great disappointment when they when they realize the truth of what their life should and could have been if they had been rooted in God's word. And so that's um, you know for for some of these I would say we can we can see the comparison in the lives of those who come up from a a different background a different um, religion perhaps different philosophy, different worldview, that these things really need to be there because those of us who grew up in church, we'd say, well, I mean, even my little children, my two- and three-year-old, know more about the Bible than the Muslims do. And that's not to boast. It's just because the Muslims know barely anything. But they have a, a good grounding, we could say, from the time they're very young, hearing the Word of God, learning the truth of God's word, um, of course, that's different from it being rooted in their own heart. And so uh, then you have someone like my brother, uh, my oldest brother, who grew up uh, knowing the word of God and even teaching and preaching the word of God at times. And yet, wow, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to picture where he would be in this, in this parable except for verse 12 that the word of God has been taken out of his heart. I, I'm not God to know for sure that, that answer, but um, where it says in verse 11, the, the seed is the word of God, and that would be, if you need a title for tonight, I would say the seed, the word of God, because in our witnessing, <laughs> I find that if the word of God is not taken as authoritative in someone's life, then we're not going to get anywhere. We can... We can convince them to say something or say they believe something or repeat something, but that does not, that does not uh, put the roots of the Word of God into their heart. And so some of it is work that we need to do, and some of it is work that the individual heart needs to do to receive it. <laughs> um, so let's, let's briefly look at the last two, the thorns. In verse 7, some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Verse 14 says, That which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. And the other parables give some more descriptive words on those as well. 
But I think of this as a great danger for those of us who grew up in church or those of us who have been in church for a while. It says, when they have heard, go forth. And just, just now we're talking about parcels of ground here, so we can't have a, a piece of land just get up and start walking away. But <laughs> this is the explanation given. And so for us, the fact that it's a parable reminds us that it's not, a, it's not an actual story of ground. It's, we can draw some parallels, but there's going to be some things different as well. So when they have heard, go forth. Um, it just makes me think of, for one thing, walking outside the doors of the church. Or, or you know, church is done, and sometimes that, that little part of our brain can turn off. And often we have people to see, connections to make, practices or, or meals to eat. And, and uh, perhaps you've, you've been at this point too where we plan, maybe we're going to have fellowship meal after church, um, trying to get the prophets to leave this country and they can never get out. And so we've got this all planned. And perhaps the message that day is really convicting, really thought-provoking. And we want to take time to make some decisions, to meditate, to ask God what he wants us to do with the word that we've heard. And man, there's such a, such a temptation and a, a weakness to just go forth from that moment and the cares and just the things that we have to get done and oh, we already had this planned. And just so quickly, the word that came into our heart, it doesn't say that it ever disappeared, but it says it's choked. Other things grew up with it. And so many competing interests make it just one of the little plants growing in that garden. You, can't, you can barely find where's the word of God in that person's life. And I've been in that position too many times, uh, more, than, more than it's comfortable to think about, to realize how it mentions particularly cares. <laughs> if you've ever gotten married or become a parent, you know about caring for people. And that's the right thing you're supposed to do. But man, it can wear you down. And just caring for your, your job or your home or your church ministries, even... Even things with a spiritual goal can become a care that distracts us from individual communication and fellowship with the Lord and personal application of his word into our lives. Uh, riches and pleasures of this life. Um, I know for a fact that I like pleasures of this life because, as I often say, it doesn't feel good to not feel good. So when, you know, when we're sick, we want to get better. Typically, people want to get better when they're sick. If you want to be in pain all your life, I don't know what's going on in your brain. So we like pleasure. We like to feel good. We like to taste nice things. We like to see beautiful sights. We like to uh, have, a, have a day off and enjoy. My, my wife and I were, were having a bit of a day off today, and we saw the sunshine out on Lake Michigan and, and uh, waves crashing up on the snowbanks along the lighthouse pier. It was, it was beautiful. It was, it was nice. Just enjoying a little, little life's pleasures. Those things are not wrong. The Bible says uh, riches. Uh, riches can be a big hindrance to people following the Lord, but uh, riches can be used to, to do great, great work for the Lord as well. Riches are not sin of themselves. But when they grow up and choke the word of God, it says, 
that this kind of people bring no fruit to perfection. And it's kind of like they're, they're heading that way, but it never really matures. You never really get to harvest. You have a plant, you have some big leaves, but where's the fruit? Where's, where's the, uh, first of all, yes, leading others to the Lord, reproducing in that sense, but, but also fruit uh, that would remain fruit that, as I said about uh, how God's designed fruit to provide sustenance and, and nourishment and edification to others. That's what God desires from our lives. But these, these side interests can, uh, can be a huge barrier and distraction from what the Lord wants from our lives. And so it's easy for us to look at the lost and those that grew up in a false religion and say, wow, you need to. You need to cut that out of your life. You need to get grounded in the Word of God. And then, but us, well, we're so grounded and settled, we have no problem believing the right doctrines and, and uh, going to church every time that it's church time. And so we may feel that we're just fine and dandy. But these things could, could grow up right alongside with us. And really, um, that could be a, you know, like... We could compare that to our own little religious pride going on, that, that our plants are springing up, and the, they have no problem growing. But at the same time, we may not realize that the other things that we find more important than letting our spiritual life flourish are keeping us from bringing forth the fruit that God desires. So uh, that would be a prayer request for me, for my family. Uh, yeah, we don't have any problem accepting the Word of God, studying the Word of God, but, oh, the, um, I, I don't remember who it was, I think a young man at my home church uh, was mentioning that discipline is about choosing what you want more rather than what you want right now. <laughs> we all have things we want right now, and we have to decide, is this going to help me? to be the fruit-bearing Christian that God wants me to be? Or is it just a little fleeting thing that once it's gone, I'm not going to have anything to show to the Lord for what He gave me in my life? And so then we, we end on a, a positive note, the ideal that God wants us to be. And this is what we should shoot for. This is what we should pray for in others' lives and in our own, um, where it says the other fell on good ground and sprang up and bear fruit in a hundredfold. You know, the other parables talk about 30, 60, but this one just jumps right to 100. And then it says, And when he had said these things, this is verse 8, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's no mistake that this is right here. Because Jesus just gave the whole parable. But then he said, Hey, if you have it in you, Listen to what I just said. <laughs> and we see that the Word of God can come and it can meet different responses. And our response needs to be what we see in verse 15. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart. Well, God's the only one that can make our heart good, that's for sure. We have to be honest with God. I remember when I was a young person realizing I want to choose when I'm young 
and, and this, this was also of the Lord, certainly not of my human nature, but I decided to choose to seek to have a heart right with God. And it, it brings such great joy, especially since I was already saved. If you don't choose that, then you're fighting against the Spirit of God that's living in you, and it, it will bring great uh, conflict and restlessness. But it's not going to come natural to submit to the Lord, to uh, make His Word most important. And daily, even right now at this time in my life, daily, besides the, the cares of my family and the, the things that I'm trying to get done, it is an almost daily struggle and challenge to make the Word of God first priority in my day. But if I don't, what am I going to have to show the Lord? What, what is going to help me to be a fruitful and increasing in the knowledge of God if I don't do that? What is my life for at all if I don't do that? So with an honest and good, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, it says, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. We know that we reap what we sow, we reap more than we sow, we reap after we sow. God wants us to show our, our, our faith in Him by continuing to seek after Him, even though we don't know how He's going to make the fruit come to pass, what, what His future goals are for us. But if we are consistent and persistent in following Him, then he has no trouble at all bringing that fruit to pass and, and nourishing us, building us up in him. That's his work. Let, may we be praying for others, praying for ourselves, praying for each other, that God would help us to have that honest and good heart that will grow and bring forth fruit for him and that others also can have that as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for being so merciful and patient with us, with me for the times that I've just discounted and not really thought of your word as of vital importance of uh, just the, the, the only purpose of my life. Um, Lord, we thank you that you give all the resources necessary for us to bring forth eternal, lasting fruit for you. We pray that you'd use us to um, be of uh, pleasure and enjoyment and, and profit to you, to others. Lord, please help us to get your word out so that everyone has a chance to hear and respond. Lord, we pray that you will work in the hearts of lost loved ones and ones that we've witnessed to and that you will bring those breakthroughs after we've done what we can to speak your truth. Lord, we need you to work against the devil and, and to bring deliverance from those, the, the bondage and blindness that's there. And Lord, please help us to have our eyes open as well to put aside the things that would choke out your word and your desire for our life that we could be fruitful and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.